Hello, and welcome to Kingwood United Methodist Church. Thank you for joining us today. Wherever you're listening from and whatever service you're listening to, we strongly believe because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, there is always more to life. As the kiddos are heading out, y'all have a great time learning about Jesus. You'll see the QR codes posted all throughout the walls in the vine space this morning. So feel free to take one of those with you so we don't have to take them down or just scan the QR code. We're wrapping up the series today on pursuing perfection. And we actually um, have this rather irritating graphic made that makes everything look perfect. Um, Kids are smiling because kids never frown and always have wonderful days, right? Uh, Dad's smiling because dad never comes home frowning. Mom's smiling because, well, moms smile all the time. The resilient characters they are. They never raise their voice. You know, parents never have a bad day. Kids are always perfect. Isn't it wonderful? We just pursue perfection. Now, we pulled that imagery because it probably got your attention in thinking perfection. Well, the word within the Greek in Scripture, Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, in which we're instructed to pursue perfection because our Heavenly Father is perfect, doesn't mean perfection like it does to you and me. It doesn't mean that everything is perfect and wonderful and it's never going to be wrong, never going to be broken. Um, it's, the, it's, it's a sense of completeness, a sense of wholeness. And so in our Wesleyan heritage, as we talk about John Wesley, the, um, the founder of Methodism, the one who, when he gathered people together, would always talk about reading Scripture. It's the basis for the band groups, the work of the Holy Spirit, confessing their sins. They were so methodic in what they did, the people around them at Oxford mockingly called them Methodist, and it stuck. That there's a method to constantly making yourself available to God, but also listening to God's correction and encouragement from the lips of your brothers and sisters. And so we wanted to focus today on this concept of community as we continue to wrap up this series about what does it mean for us to create space in our hearts, in our lives, to be made complete or whole? Can we ever be complete and whole in this life? And the lens that we look through in our denomination is, yeah, we can be. We can be made completely whole in love, if even for a moment, not because of us, but because of what God does in us and our availability to God. I'll give you an example. Uh, to go to our daughter's house where our nine-month-old grandson is, I have to drive down Highway 99. Uh, I call this the purgatory of the world, right? It's, and then I have to get off at um, Boudreaux, which is a nightmare. And there's all this traffic and it's irritating. And, you know, as I used this illustration a couple of weeks ago, about traffic and spirituality, one of our church members said very accurately, you know, that's true. Everybody in front of me is an idiot that's driving too slow. And every behind me, everybody behind me that's driving too fast is a lunatic. I'm the only ordinary person out here on the road. This sense of absolute relativism, right? And so I can be as frustrated as I can be about all that's happening in my world, um, the, the, the work of the church or what's happening in traffic. But, you know, when I get to our daughter's house, uh, when I make the turn, I start looking because we have this app together called Life 360. And so they know when we're getting there. And so um, as we approach, um, I'll look up and I look to the garage door and, and Megan will be standing there with David, right? They're looking. 
I've learned to go alone because if I go with my wife, he doesn't even look at me. Sean has this ability to go, it's Grammy. And he just focuses on grandma. That's it. I found out a trick the other day. I don't tell anybody this, but I snuck him some of those dissolvable little things that y'all feed him that she's like organic little dissolve. He thinks I'm a hero now, right? So I say, it's grandpa. It's grandpa. It's grandpa. I'm sort of like Cheerio feeding him sort of, right? So now I'm like, hey, it's grandpa. And he's going, come on, grandpa, deal it. Where's the good stuff? He'll look at me, he'll kind of smile. And no matter what's happened in that journey to that point, when, when I take that little bundle of mess in my hands and I hold him and he looks at me and he kind of reaches up with those hands and reaches to my face and pulls on my hair and tugs on my cheek. That moment is perfect, right? The moment is whole. It doesn't mean that traffic doesn't exist. It doesn't mean that frustrations don't exist. It means that I'm, I'm so present in that moment with my grandson that the world is right in that moment. This is what Wesley's encouraging us and we want to echo through the centuries to say is, can we make ourselves so available to God that there is this beautiful moment when we know God is present and we are fully present to God. We are made whole. We are made complete in God's love because of our availability. And let me remind you, if you hear nothing else to this, hear this. God is not concerned about your ability He's concerned about your availability to him and the work of the Holy Spirit. So we're about to look at Acts chapter 2. And oftentimes we'll read through text and we don't often um, remind ourselves of the context of a text. Uh, what's happened is in Acts chapter 2 is, is this text of Pentecost, right? The Holy Spirit comes and it rests, hovers over like tongues of fire above all those who are present and the people who are present begin to proclaim the good news of the gospel in language that can be under her, understood by others. And so there's no church yet, all right? We're going to talk about community this morning, but remember this. This is 50 days after the death of Christ. There's not a Baptist church in town yet. There's not a Methodist church in town yet. There's not a Catholic church, a Greek Orthodox, a Nazarene, you name it. There's no established church yet. The councils haven't even met yet. It's just a gathered group of people. And in that sense of the word is translated church in Matthew chapter 16, it's ecclesia. It's really gathered people, right? That's what we are. We're a gathered people. Why are we here? Well, I can tell you we're not here because of the donuts because we haven't brought those back yet, right? And there's probably some places that have better coffee. Why are we here? We're here because we're gathered to say we're God's people, we gather together to be encouraged in word and song, to remember we're gathered to lift up our community, to transcend the hatred, the division, to say we are claimed by God's love and that makes us different. In this early gathered community, just the small group that there was, you already see the formative work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church. And the message is really short today, but the points I think are very clear. And so I'm going to invite you to stand as you're able. We're going to read Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. This is at the end of the Pentecost experience. Then the text says this. And listen, as we go through the text, listen to the language that talks about everybody, everyone, everywhere, that this language stretches, right? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of the bread and to prayer. 
If you had the Eugene Peterson translation, it would have said, and they went to potlucks at each other's houses and then they prayed. Right? Everyone was filled with awe on the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Picking up at verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated and let us pray together. God, would you awaken our hearts and minds to the movement of your spirit? We have read the scriptures, and would you now have the scriptures read us to help us understand, to be challenged, and to be affirmed in what it means to follow the wounded healer of Galilee, Jesus the Christ. For it is in his name we gather, it's in his name we pray, and it's in his name we will depart and seek to serve you faithfully. And all of God's people did say, Amen. Thanks again for joining us for today's message. We will return to the sermon in a moment, but first, we would like to ask for you to rate, share, and subscribe to our podcast. We believe God is doing some amazing things here at KUMC, and your feedback helps our church to reach new listeners that we wouldn't otherwise be able to reach. Now, let's get back to the work. Community. Community is often defined historically by what you are born into or your genealogy or your pedigree. For years, community was defined by your ethnicity. We look and look at uh, the heritage, even in Acts chapter 2, people were divined by the countries from which they came. We look at the development of our own nation, and we see that communities are defined much by their ethnic heritage. If you drive between Gainesville, Texas, and Henrietta, Texas, uh, do I have anybody here that knows that part of Texas besides me? Highway 82. You're going to come to a little town called Munster. Munster is the German Catholic town. And if you turn to the north at the one stoplight in Munster, Texas, you will come to a grocery store known as the Center. And it has the most amazing sausages made from scratch Danish pastries. How many I've had is none of your business. (laughs) Right? But that community is defined by its German Catholic heritage. It's who they are. I know in my, my mother's own hometown of Denmark, Wisconsin, my great-grandmother actually lived the first when she came over from Denmark. They lived in a dugout in Wisconsin, south of Green Bay. They dug a hole in the ground in Green Bay, Wisconsin, put a thatching on the top, and that's where they lived the first year they were there. Now, this was the Lutherans, but the Lutherans came over from Denmark, but so did the Catholics. So in the late 1950s, the All Saviors Lutheran Church had a really important decision to make in the life of the church. They'd already got the indoor plumbing, and so had the Catholics. 
They got it about the same time, and that's going to be really important for what I'm about to tell you. As they built these buildings, they built them without air conditioning in the 1950s. It's hard for us to understand from the South. But then the point came, and the Catholics put air conditioning in their sanctuary. And there was a congregational meeting at which my grandfather, my mother's father, was the building chair, and the vote was as follows. We are not putting air conditioning in the sanctuary. We don't want to be like the Catholics. And they officially voted to leave the windows open and put fans in the sanctuary because they didn't want to be like the Catholics. This deep, deep sense of what defined that community. And in older, in, in my grandparents' generations, the church which you attended defined your identity. It was huge. I can't tell you even now as I meet with couples and they're getting married or whatnot, so many couples go to destination weddings to keep peace in the family. Because they grew up on this church and they grew up in that church. Well, grandma's coming and if grandma knew that we were being married in X church or not being married in X church, it wouldn't be a very happy event. They're just trying to keep the peace. So I just ask you, where do you get that identity of who you are? In this early group of people that gathered after the death of Christ, they devoted themselves to the teachings. There wasn't even a scripture to guide them. 50 days. Think about it. Three, two months after the death of Christ, they're gathered together. And what God has done in their midst, he continues to do because they were available and devoted. And there's sometimes in the Greek, like with the word perfect, we need to unpack it for our meaning. Friends, in the Greek, this word devoted means exactly what it sounds like. They were devoted. They were committed to the teaching. What you believe is important. Now, I'm not saying, I don't want to say anything degrading, and if it sounds degrading, I will apologize ahead of time. But let me say clearly, we are not Unitarians in the United Methodist tradition for a reason. We are United Methodists, but we have things that we do cling to and believe in. But even as a third generation pastor, I can't tell you how many people have said, well, let's just go to the Methodist church because you can believe whatever you want to there. And that's not true. We have deeply held convictions and beliefs, as you should have. Now, let me say a side word about convictions and doctrine. One of the dilemmas that people have is they say, well, I want to make sure I join a church that believes what I do. And I just want to say good luck. Because as you peel back the layers of the definitive nature of the doctrines of the church, you're going to find something that's going to conflict with your convictions. Doctrines are the teachings of the church. For example, the belief in a triune God, the physical and bodily resurrection, the fact that we are alienated from God, we're created in God's image, we believe these things, but sin mars that image. These are not up for debate. You have individual convictions that may not align perfectly with the doctrinal teaching of the church. Here's a doctrinal teaching of the church which aligns perfectly with my conviction. When we have Holy Communion in a moment, we believe that everybody is available to come to the table to receive the sacrament of Holy Communion. It's called an open table of communion. Some traditions don't. Not my monkey, not my circus. All right? I'm not going to get over. I know what this church in doctrine believes. 
We know that the sacrament of baptism, we believe it's God's activity in moving that Sterling and any person baptized on the spectrum is going to have to choose to respond to baptism because baptism isn't about our choice. It's about God reaching the relationship. And then your profession of faith is a choice of responding. But you're going to have a path where these teachings are going to rub up against your convictions. And that's where we stay connected. That's where we stay connected. We ask, why is the church teaching what it teaches? What does this mean to us? And what we find even in the early church before there was a church council, before there was a scripture, before there was a denomination, that they were devoted to God and they were devoted to each other. They met together at the temple. They met together at each other's homes. Now I'm going to say a sidebar because I don't have time to preach the sermon. Verses 44 and 45 are the sermon that very few pastors want to go to and even fewer congregants want to hear. All the believers were together and held everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Let me just admit, every one of us plays biblical hopscotch. And what we do is we like this scripture and hold on to it, but that one touches a little too close, right? This scripture challenges our individuality and how we understand our individualism in the world today. Let me, let me start drawing to a close by, by, by offering you this imagery. Uh, there's, a, there's a man by the name of Bill Bishop. Um, I've read some of his work. I, I don't commend uh, all of his work. I, I come out of a different place than Bill Bishop does on many, many, many things. But uh, I read people that are different than I think because I need to be challenged. And I need to ask, why do I believe what I do? Um, he asks a lot of really good questions. One of the things he says in his book, The Big Sort, why the clustering of like-minded America is tearing us apart, is this. It used to be that people were born as part of a community and had to find their place as individuals. Now people are born as individuals and have to find their community. And so it's like this, this dilemma, right? So this rugged sense in the United States of individualism in some ways is really nice because we can do what we want in our remote control kind of world. And if it doesn't harm somebody else, I should be okay to do whatever I want. I can have an eight-foot fence or a six-foot fence or no-foot fence. I can determine what I want from my life, my family, my future. I can drive what I can dr want to drive, eat where I want to eat. But there's a point at which we must confess and recognize the rugged and almost rampant individualism within our culture is antithetical. It is opposite of what it's called to be a community of faith, where we begin not with what makes me happy, but we begin with what am I being called to in community? That means I need to set aside my own desires for a greater good. And that's a different kind of challenge. But you know what? We do it every week. We do it every week. I'm sure some of you would rather be here at 1230, maybe four o'clock in the afternoon. The mere fact that we show up at 11 o'clock and we have 930, 11 o'clock reflects that we have established a pattern of when we commit together together as community. You see, we're already doing these things. We just need to let it seep a little deeper than just our gathering times. We need to let it seep a little deeper and get involved in our band groups and small groups so that when we think about the work of the Holy Spirit and what God is doing in our lives, it takes a little deeper root where we can have questions that we may not want to answer in front of a whole group, but in front of three or four other good friends can say, I need to be honest with you. I'm struggling with this. I'm really struggling with this. 
I need prayer for this. And in those moments, we find that the voice of God sounds a lot like the ones that are our friends around us. Friends, whenever I pray to God alone, God always agrees with me. When I pray to God in community, I find that I'm the one being transformed and changed. And I find that I hear things that I don't want to but need to. I experience things that I didn't expect. And I find great encouragement. So if you haven't found that place to get connected in a smaller group, let me encourage you to do that. Let me encourage you to scan that code, take that next step, find out what it's all about. Because like the early church, what God is doing and wants to do is really going to be up to the availability of all of our hearts. Because God's church, and not this church, God's church, big C, regardless of denomination, can only go places in the world where the open hearts of its individual members are willing to go. Your faith can be personal and should be with Christ, but it cannot ever be private. Community is a place we come to walk together, to experience life together, and to realize that in Christ, there is more to life. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. When we gather around this table, we're reminded that Jesus gathered a group of disciples together. And as our band comes uh, to be prepared to lead us in song during Holy Communion, think of the, the variety of experiences. Judas was there. Jesus, it says in the scriptures, already knew what had been put into his heart. And Jesus didn't say, hey, Judas, you better get things cleared up before you come. He welcomed him as he was. He was still at the table. Peter, the one the church would be built upon, was there. Peter the impetuous who would just simply say hours later, I don't know who you're talking about. Jesus who? But as we gather, we remember that in this bread and in this cup, God reaches to us and offers us life. So let us pray together. Pour out your Holy Spirit, O God, upon us who are gathered here out of love for you. And upon this table filled with ordinary bread and the unfermented vine and ordinary juice, would you make these elements become for us the body and the blood of Christ that we might become for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood? Would you help us make room in our hearts to be filled by your presence so we have something to offer when we leave this place and that we would be made one in Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all of the world, which is filled with so much division, brokenness, and hatred. God, would you simply allow us to, in the, in the consuming of the elements, to be consumed by your grace and to make space in our lives and hearts, in our mind, our soul, and our spirits for where you want to draw, shape us, and mold us according to your will. As we remember these words when Jesus said, if you're going to pray, then pray like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses 
as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen.